We had a bit of a Potter's Nightmare this week. We'd prepared our episode for this week's podcast, all about the new Airbnb or short-term letting laws and regulations and what we thought was good and what we thought was not so good. And we got it all packaged up and ready to go out. And late on Tuesday night, after the podcast had gone out, the government changed its mind in the face of some fairly hostile criticism and decided to postpone everything until November. Now that left us um, with our podcast having gone out to the world and uh, us commenting on something that going to happen. It's just not going to happen very soon or in the form that possibly we had thought it would. Anyway, I think it's still a worthwhile discussion. The rules are on the table. They're going to be pulled apart and put back together again, and they may end up being pretty much as they are in this discussion. We're also talking about that terrible situation where the young woman had put in a deposit for an apartment and then discovered that not only were there defects, but that the certification was extremely suspect. And we're going to talk about an interesting way of moving cars without towing them when they're parked in the wrong part of your car park. I will, as usual, be talking to Sue Williams, and I am, as usual, Jimmy Thompson, and this is the Flat Chat Wrap. It was late on Friday night, that time when politicians typically dump stuff on the internet uh, that they don't want to get in the papers over the weekend. (laughs) Do you think that's why they did it in this case? I don't know. I think they were just desperate to get it out. Um, But it's basically the regulations that from the planning department, because we had fair trading, have had their swing at the short-term renting regulations but they needed planning to come in with their bits and so they did on friday afternoon and it's been being pulled apart over the weekend it's quite interesting what they've done what have they mostly done what was the main tenant of it well i mean we knew there were things coming like the the code of conduct and the the people have to register their apartments or or their houses if they're going to do short-term letting. And there's going to be apparently an exclusion register, which is basically a blacklist for people who behave badly. But the surprise, I think, is that there's always been, as part of the the short-term letting law, that there'd be a maximum of 180 days or nights in Greater Sydney Mm. and up around Byron Bay where they have big problems with locals not being able to afford to live there because every piece of property is rented to tourists. That was always on the cards. But then they've come out and added a whole bunch of other places that nobody expected. Certainly none of the people I've spoken to, like Newcastle, Dubbo, Bega, uh, Musselbrook, places like that. Mm. So I wonder if Airbnb has been a bit of a problem. Well, we shouldn't say just Airbnb, just short-term letting, really. Um, Companies like Airbnb and Stays and all those kind of things. Yeah. 
have there been problems elsewhere in the regions? Well, apparently, according to Tony Cordato, who sent us this excellent uh, summary of all the, the law changes, the regulation changes, which are, is now on the, the Flat Chat website, he said that uh, when they announced that they were making special exceptions for Byron Bay and the Ballina area, a lot of local councils said, hey, we've got the same problems here. It's just not as obvious. Mm. And we'd like a bit of protection for our local residents as well. And so, obviously, they listened to them and uh, brought in these 180-day, 180-night caps on how much they can let out properties. There's a potential here for a lot of people not to register their properties. But then the, the platforms like Airbnb and Stays have been told if the property is not registered on the short-term letting register, you can't put it online. Oh, so will there be somebody policing that, do you think? Um, and with I fines, think, maybe, uh, if people don't do it? I think local people, the, sure. the neighbours mm. who are sick of, you know, party houses, they'll be all over it. Mm. Um, but it's interesting when you look at the conditions that they've put in the Code of Conduct for hosts, uh, if I may read, they must not breach criminal law or the planning law. They must provide the pre premises in the same state as advertised or advised. Must have third-party public liability insurance cover for personal injuries and death. They must be contactable to manage the guests, the premises, the neighborhood complaints and other issues within ordinary hours and for emergencies after hours. They must give guests contact details for an emergency electrical service provider, an emergency plumbing service, and Australian emergency services. They must provide a copy of the code and the strata bylaws for strata premises. They must take every reasonable step to ensure their guests comply with the code. They must advise the strata owners corporation that they're using the premises for short-term rentals and provide their contact details and take reasonable and timely steps to address their concerns. And from 30th of July, they must not advertise a short-term rental for the premises unless the host and the premises are registered on the premises register, and they must not advertise premises which are on the exclusion register or allow persons recorded on the exclusion register to book. It's a lot of rules. Oh, it is, especially... I mean, our bylaws in our building is quite a big document, so they're going to have to provide those bylaws to each new guest. I guess they'll just have them, you know, lying on a coffee table or something, but still they've got to make sure it's there every time. Yeah, um, and will the guests read them? No. Well, no, of course they wouldn't, really. But, you know, they'll be able to point out, look, there are bylaws in there about noise and things like that, and, mm. you know, they might be enforceable. Because what can happen if they allow the disruptive guests to rent the properties too often, they can be put on the exclusion register and they're not allowed mm. to, to rent because the exclusion register can include hosts, properties or guests. Okay. And do you think most people would have third-person liability? I don't think so. Third-party, yeah. Sorry, third-party. I wonder how expensive that would be. I don't know. I mean, I, look, it's another expense. They've also got to put in uh, smoke alarms in every corridor uh, or bedroom 
They've got to be all connected, interconnected. They've got to put notices. You know those maps they have on the back of mm. hotel doors say you are here. The exit, yeah. They go this way and turn that. They've got to have that on the back of any door of any room that they're letting. And it's got to include a map showing how to get out of the apartment and how to get out of the building. It's a lot of little mm. bits of expense that I think will make a lot of people go. This is it worth is, it? Either it's not worth it or I'm going to do this off the the grid kind of mm. thing. It's interesting because is this the first set of regulations that have come out for Airbnb nationally? Oh, there have been a few half-hearted attempts. Victoria was the first ones to come in and they said basically if you, I think it's three strikes of, you know, causing disruption or damage and they can ban the property from being let. I don't know if they have bans on guests mm. or hosts. Because you wonder if they'll start looking at this one and start copying it. Or... The dilemma for a lot of governments, especially now as we're coming out of COVID, is that they want to get tourists back as quickly and in lo as large numbers as they can. And to be honest, I think if this process hadn't started before COVID-19 hit Australia, we would not be seeing these laws now mm. because they are quite restrictive. I guess we're always more concerned about apartments being used yeah. um, for Airbnb and other short-term plat letting platforms. You kind of think those regional areas will have far fewer apartments. Yes. Yeah. But with the apartments here, does it cover the apartments who've managed to pass bylaws saying that they won't allow Airbnb yeah, that's all, in their that's building? Yeah, that's all still okay. But one of the loopholes in that is if the apartment is your principal place of residence, then you're not covered by the bylaws. And all you have to do, and I've, I've, I've asked planning and fair trading to confirm this, but you could theoretically stay in your apartment for 27 weeks of a year and then let it out for 25 the other 25 it's still mm. your principal place of residence you're wow. staying there more than you're staying anywhere else sure so you could um stay there for six months yeah then put away all your personal possessions and things yeah and then let it out for the other six months. Well, right? if you look at the summer season here in Australia, it's more likely to be eight and four. Mm, I guess so. And there's also a complete exclusion for people who are doing the proper home sharing thing, where you're allowed, where you have people guests in your property while you're still there. There's no restrictions on that. 365 days a year, whether you're in an apartment or a house or whatever. Mm. But the home sharing where you go away and you know you go and live in Paris in an apartment and the Parisians come and live in your apartment. Ah, well, they, Does that come? Ah, this is, a, this is interesting. If you are letting it for at least 21 days to the same people, then it's not counted against your 180 days in a year. Ah. Yeah, so you could have somebody come and stay in your apartment for a month. Hmm. And as long as it's the same person, the clock hasn't started on your the number of nights that you're allowed to let your apartment. That's still a problem for a lot of apartment buildings, isn't it? Because many of them don't allow lets, like residential lets, for less than three months. Well, as soon as you hit three months, you come under the Residential Tenancies mm. Act. And then it's all the stuff about bonds and notices to quit and stuff like that. So... Anybody who lets their apartment for that length of time, it's that critical period between three weeks and three months. 
And they mention in the legislation that it's for like visiting academics and business people who don't want to stay in a hotel and they don't want to have a three month lease. They want to come here for a couple of months and then go home. Mm. So, yeah, it's all sorts of little quirks and uh, interesting wrinkles in the whole thing. So is there still potential for some changes? Are they likely to tweak it at all before it comes into effect at the end of July? Or They seem to be able to tweak strata law whenever they feel like it, <laughs> as we'll discuss later when we're talking mm. about the parking thing. Mm. Um, the, the problem with strata uh, is, as it always has been, the vast majority of MPs in Parliament don't care. They really, really don't. They care if they have their own investment properties that they let on Airbnb, as one very prominent member of the National Party does. And they care if they want to use short-term rentals for their own purposes, like when they're in session in Parliament and they live outside of the city. But generally speaking, as far as you and I are concerned, they don't give us stuff. We've made our beds, we can lie in it kind of thing is the attitude. <laughs> so, yeah, the upshot of that is that they can change these things whenever they feel like it. Mm, okay. It seems to be. I mean, that's what they did with the the parking thing about obstructing common property. Suddenly they just erased those two parts of the law that allowed you to move a car that was blocking common property. So we're going to have to watch for the next few weeks to see what other groups... Um, maybe say about these laws yeah. and see if the government reacts to them in any way. Yeah, I mean, stays have already issued a statement saying that they think it's rushed and badly thought out and there should have been more consultation and there are elements of it that are just totally wrong and uh, basically said it's been bungled. I think that was the headline uh -huh. on there. So they're coming out with all guns blazing. But it has taken over a year, hasn't it? can hardly say it's rushed really it might be bungled but it's not really rushed i think there was a bit of pressure not least from us here at flat chat to say what's happening with all these laws actually not least from stays themselves they were agitating to say well where's this register where is the exclusion register apparently the exclusion register doesn't exist yet but then they've got till july you know mm. just a bit of a website that's all yeah Sure. And they do say that they're taking names and people who've misbehaved. Mm. But um, it's a change. We're moving forward. The first thing they say in why they are bringing the legislation in, it is to facilitate property owners to be able to use their property for purposes of tourism. That's right at the top. And then they, as an afterthought, and to try and... Uh, ameliorate any problems <laughs> that might exist for the community mm. as a result. Mm. But basically their first priority is to get tourists back into the cities and back into the regions mm. and uh, everything else follows from that. Mm. When we come back, you're going to tell us all about somebody who's gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with Building Commissioner David Chandler. That's after this. And we're back. So what's been going on in the crazy world of David Chandler? <laughs> well, we heard last week about him being faced off by a developer who insisted that most buildings were shoddy. So therefore, why should he be picked on for his shoddy building? Yes. For his allegedly shoddy building. <laughs> and um, this week, um, David Chandler has been having a bit of an altercation with um, 
a planner, a planning expert who has been advising, you know, do you remember the woman who bought an apartment in Kellyville? Yes. And the apartment building is said to have lots and lots of defects and she had paid her deposit. The occupation certificate had been issued apparently by somebody who wasn't qualified to Mother, do that. I believe his name was. <laughs> and, uh, um, the planning expert called in David Chandler to have a look, and David Chandler basically said he couldn't really help. And I think what what he's always said is that he's looking into the future for buildings. Like yeah. he's, he's inspecting buildings which haven't been finished now, yeah. and making sure they're up to date. But he's he's you know to be fair, he's always said I can't do anything about the buildings that already exist. And I think this building is not within his purview it, really it, it, because it all it's happened a bit advanced. Yeah, it all mm. happened before the laws were passed to give him the power to do what he's doing now. That's right. So, I mean, he's got huge powers now, but he can't really use those powers retrospectively. Right. And so the planning expert has been criticising him and saying, well, he really, you know, planning consultant, should, he really should be doing something. And David Chandler is saying, well, he's not in a position to be able to do that, really. Right. So it's a real shame because, I mean, it's a terrible story about this um, yeah, woman it, being forced to settle. It just shows you the power of doing nothing um, as far as developers are concerned. I mean, this developer cannot really be too concerned about their reputation when all this publicity around this development, and as far as I know, they're not denying that there was anything. They're just not saying anything. But there's all this evidence that something very dubious happened between the the certifiers going in and the 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 council giving the the certificate of occupation, which is the key mm. point. You yeah. know, the, if the council had never issued the certificate of occupation, then the woman would not have had to buy the apartment. And now she's being told you can either forfeit your deposit or you have to go through with the purchase, mm. which is just criminal, just mm. disgusting. It's a terrible position to be in. And your heart always goes out to those mascot residents who are still in a, a complete and utter mess as well. I mean, uh. they're involved in a court case, but, you know, even if they win the court case, they're still not going to be winners in the long run, really. It's no. still going to cost them an awful lot of time and money and heartache and grief. Well, I mean, I mean it's, and it's, what are the chances that, you know, if there's a multi-million dollar settlement awarded against the, the people that they're in court with, that they just shut up shop and say, we mm. don't exist anymore? Mm. Well, it's always a possibility, well, I guess. Well, I'd say a probability. It's, for, it's happening all over. Obviously, David Chandler is suffering in this case because he's the highest profile person associated with this kind of thing. Where is the government in this, though? Yep. No, Where is right. fair trading? Where's the fair trading minister? Yep. You know, I mean, as far as I'm aware, he's never said anything about it whatsoever. And fair trading keeps saying, oh, well, you know, it's not really... Um, our problem. It's not our problem. Yeah. Fair trading, who, you know, the, the Department of Broken Toys and Showbags, who insist that they have the control over this, they won't let any other department take control of it, won't do anything. Mm. And it was, I think, in the story that you're referring to, it was pointed out that since they abandoned the authority that looked after uh, certifiers, the number of fines issued to certifiers have reduced by something like... They've reduced to a tenth of what they were previously. Yeah, to yeah. a tenth, yeah. Mm. People are saying to 
fair trading well what are you doing about these certifiers now that you've taken control of this and they say oh we prefer to educate and advise them <laughs> yeah that's really going to make a big difference mm. to be educated and advised you have to be open to that don't you really yeah i mean it's not even a rap on the knuckles it's a stern chat Mm. And this is what they do with strata managers. They have done for years. And as I never tire of saying, there has never been a strata manager who's been struck off in New South Wales just for being a really crap strata manager. Mm. And we have encountered some of them that are just awful. Yeah, but I mean, that's encouraging in that point to, to mention that the Strata Community Association, they're actually doing a lot more to try and make sure all their members abide by certain codes and yeah. are much more educated and much more over the their responsibilities and risks. So that's that's a great initiative that's been taken. Well, they're trying to get themselves established as a professional, professional group, yeah. association or whatever it is. Mm. Like, so they, they have the authority to discipline Mm. their members but you know not every strata manager is a, a member. member of sca yeah, that's true yeah but then if sca increase their own profile then maybe other buildings and executive committees will always want strata managers who are members of the well that's what we always tell people mm. i mean we know that the the training that sca does it doesn't always take on the on the people they're trying to train but at least they're trying mm, absolutely Okay, that's another one that could run and run, but you know, you've got to think that this is not the last time that somebody's going to find out they've bought a lemon and there's nothing mm. they can do about it, especially if Muzza was the one who signed the certification mm. document. This is yeah. somebody who's been named in the story, just right. in case you're wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Muzza. This is not everybody called Muzza is not a bad person. Of course okay. not. When we come back, we're going to talk about an innovative way of dealing with a car that's been left blocking another car space. That's after this. What's the thing about parking, Jimmy? All right. So I got a, a question to the Flat Chat Forum asking exactly that. Can we move cars that are parked on common property illegally or can we not? And up until... Fairly recently, there were allowances in strata law that if a car was parked somewhere that it shouldn't be parked, that you could put a notice on it, you had to leave it for a week, and then you could move it to the nearest safe place. And if that happened to be a car yard, a suburb away, that was just tough. If what you couldn't do is move it to a parking area where it was going to collect fines. Oh, okay. Right. Or move it to the bottom of a river or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So based on that, I found this story, uh, which I found very amusing, this bloke who uh, he had a parking space and an adjacent parking space, and he would let his mate use the adjacent parking space because he knew even though his mate was blocking him in, he could always say, do you mind moving your car so I can mm. get out? And then somebody else started using that space and then the person using that space went away for a weekend so he was stuck he and his mates couldn't go to the football in his car because this idiot had parked there now faced with the same uh, restrictions you, you cannot really move somebody else's car just for parking in the wrong space 
he came up with this ingenious thing. And I don't know if you're aware, there's this thing they use in garages, in professional garages, and they will use them in showrooms as well. And it's like uh, a kind of U-shaped thing that slots under the wheels of a car, the four individual things, and then oh, you... Oh, yeah, I've seen that. And then, and you, then pump you pump it up. Pump it up. Mm. And so the car wheels are lifted off, and now it's sitting on what is effectively a trolley. Mm. And you can move that trolley to wherever you want. So they moved this car across the car park and they found this area like that nobody ever used in between two pillars. So they pushed the car up there and then pushed it sideways in between the two pillars. So it had about <laughs> six inches. So it couldn't drive out. They said that it sat there for several days and then one day they came out and it had gone and nobody's got any idea how it, how it got out. Maybe they went and got those hydraulic trolley things as well. <laughs> That's a good idea, isn't it? Because you're not technically kind of touching the car, really, no. are you? And you're as just... long as you don't damage it in the process. Mm. And, mm. you know, if somebody's going to be that inconsiderate, it's actually on the last week's forum roundup. There's a link to the story, which has got this nice little graphic showing how the car was spun around and slid into the area, <laughs> which I'm sure would amuse anybody who's ever been blocked in. But, you know, I'm thinking maybe we could buy those hydraulic things and yeah. just rent ourselves out. Shift a car, we'll call ourselves. <laughs> Shifty Jimmy's shift a car. Um, that's probably enough for us for one week. <laughs> Um, before we get into any more trouble. Thanks again, Sue, for your contribution. Always valuable and no entertaining. Worries. No worries, Jimmy. And thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Rap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flat-chat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Rap with a W, click on subscribe, and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week. <laughs> <laughs>